0: You're listening to OEA Grow, a member-led production of the Oregon Education Association and a proud member of the Labor Radio Podcast Network. OEA Grow is by members for members. In season seven, members discuss special education with Venus Reeve. Welcome back to OEA Grow season seven. I'm your host, Venus Reed, and this season we are exploring special education. Today we are speaking with three special education teachers, Katie Gates, Kenny Long, and Kim Sullivan. Thank you all for being here today, and before we get going with our topic, would you each introduce yourselves and tell us a little bit about yourselves,
1: and Katie, would you mind going first? Sure. I am Katie Gates. I'm a special education teacher. Um, I am in my seventh year of teaching, tenth year at the same school. Anything else? Me? That's, That's
0: good. Pretty awesome. Um yeah, Kenny, I'll I'll just call on you. I was feeling
2: weird. with those. Okay. Awesome. Well, thank you for having us. Um, My name is Kenny Long and I am in my fourth year as a special education teacher um, and my second, well, um, first full year at uh, this new school. Awesome. Kim?
3: I'm Kim Sullivan. I'm kind of the old dog here. So I'm finishing my 18th year in special ed and I have a prior uh, background in radio broadcasting and newsprint journalism and daycare. And do you all work in the same building?
2: We We do.
3: We do like to go by the special case, Kenny, Katie, and Kim. It just kinda (laughs) helps us work together. (laughs) So, they
0: even make that cereal anymore? Do you guys, remember Special day? Anyway, back in the day, that was the way to get healthy. So, Katie Kinney and Kim, thank you so much again for being here. Um, we're just gonna popcorn around. So, at first, I was wondering if you would, for our listeners, describe your uh, role as special education teachers and the
3: populations that you serve. Okay. Um, I'll go. I can. I'll start us off, and I know you guys can add. Because we work as a team, we're very collaborative, and we share students across across everything. I'm just going to say across everything. But we mostly serve, um, my role is mostly service um, kids with myriad, like, academic challenges. But we also do emotional and behavioral challenges. So it might be students with a specific learning disability in reading. Um, I serve students right now, like one with selective mutism. Uh, we have students... Um, who are on the autism spectrum, of course, students with oppositional defiance, students with physical limitations.
1: And Katie, Kenny, you might wanna add? I can piggyback on that. Um, I'll speak for Kenny, and I both, we share a classroom and we service students kinder through fifth. And like Kim said, we have a wide range of students that we service um, anywhere from intellectual disability, autism, emotional disabilities, Learning disabilities. I would say in our setting, we definitely have kids that are with us a little bit more in their day. So some of them go to their gen ed classrooms, and then some stay with us a majority of their day. And our job is to try to push them and get them into their classrooms as much as possible.
0: Huge range of specialties and skills that you have to have to support all of these different individual needs just thinking about, wow, that's a huge list of needs, a huge list of skills that you are working to grow in them, and wow, that, the training and the and the depth of knowledge that that requires on your end, um, it's very impressive, so what is, well, let's say different, let's start with a different part, from your role than a general education teacher?
2: Um, I would say the biggest difference is that we have to individualize the education plans for all of our students. We can't expect them to just learn all in the same way um, based on one lesson. So it takes a lot of creativity to engage them. A lot of our own time is spent on creating lessons um, that we know will motivate the student to engage, um, which I think is a big difference.
3: And I would add too. We the the a huge difference to me, and that not everyone realizes, and even some of our gen ed, you know, friends and peers, is that we teach all grades, all day, so in all ages. And I do. I think for for the most part, we have more intense family relationships because we have kids who have a higher level of support need, but. And I mean, I've had preschoolers. You know, we're in an elementary setting, but preschoolers to kids who are at a tag level. You know, talented and gifted who might be achieving at a seventh or eighth grade level in the fifth grade. So we're we're absolutely individualizing each kid's individual you know program on a daily basis. <laughs> <laughs> if I'm, I'm honest,
1: to piggyback <laughs> on that, I do think that the the relationship with families I feel is very different that we foster outside of what it at least seems like for gen ed. We know a lot of personal information and a lot of families that connect with us because they're really trusting us in, in a vulnerable situation. And so I think it's a privilege that we get to know all that information, but I think we all take it very seriously um, because it's sensitive. And so we're trying to always navigate how to let other people in, on our staff know information with also protecting some family and their dignity as well. You know, it's
3: interesting when you say it like that, Katie, because it also reminds us of we have such a strong role of being advocates for the students we serve and for their families. So we're kind of in this middle zone. You know, we work for a district. We have our professional role. We're supposed to, you know, follow the rules, which we don't. No, no, we do. We do. We do. (laughs) But but we also advocate strongly. <laughs> we advocate strongly for these students within our own school settings and within our own district to what they truly need and deserve so that they can not just survive but thrive. Okay. As we're
0: talking, it reminds me of some of the experiences, and I'm curious if this is something you've experienced as well, where you have a family who comes to you, um, you're serving their child, you're serving this family, and they are looking for resources to support their family through the different processes that occur when I mean, they're looking for outside support or more in-school uh, support. And so helping them find those those groups that help them advocate for themselves and get those services is a big part of what we do um, that I think we would be different.
3: Agreed. It is. And we're lucky right now, we actually have kind of an in-school social worker who now is helping with some of that. Before, I feel like it was solely on us to get food and shoes and, you know, mm. birthday
1: items and all those medications, glasses, dental. And yeah, it's was- actually been an adjustment to having, I think, some supports finally embedded in the schools because it was always put on us, or at least... That's how it felt. We see a need and we're going to try to meet that need. What's great, though, is I know I think all three of us have uh, a desire or interest in the social work field. I feel like we get to wear a social worker hat on top of it. But then we get to work with the amazing students um, all day, which is what makes it even better for me.
0: So that is some some of the different parts, but let's look at what do you guys do that is similar to um, what general education teachers do. Are our
1: jobs the same? <laughs> well, <laughs> I would say for all of us that we are trying really heavily to take the gen ed curriculum right now and break it apart and find ways to make it accessible for our students. So we're getting the same content and we're really trying to adjust it. And so that's a similarity. We're at least looking at the same content, but we do have to get a little more creative. <laughs>
3: mm-hmm. I agree with that, Katie, because we're really trying, like we just had, you know, a new language arts adoptions, whenever that comes along. And we try to use, you know, figure out what language, what vocabulary are they using? Like, for example, teaching handwriting, you know, just a, a plain example, we used to say, you know, go to the top line, the middle line, the bottom line. Now we say, you know, start at the grass line, go down to the worm line, up to the plain line, because that's that's a curriculum we're using. But But we have to use that language, because otherwise, especially some of our students who need a little more processing time, you know, even to say, you're not really looking for a plane, it's just called that now, you know, kind of a thing. So I think, and we work really hard. And it, it again, it's a fine line, because we have to, you know, aim towards specific needs, goals, that they have to, you know, where we have specific IEP goals, but we're also adapting and adjusting in this new, you know, curriculum. So like Katie said, it takes a lot of modification. I mean, I, I mean, I'm sure after after we record this, I know all of us will, will be working on things and it's a Sunday. I mean, that's just how it goes. <laughs> mm-hmm.
2: And I would piggyback on both of you guys and say that the similarity is that we are all in the school to teach the students and we all want them to thrive. Um, so our role is special in that we get to go and help the Gen ed teachers who may not have had experience working with students with a particular disability, and we get to help that teacher uh, grow in their career as well. Um, and so just going back to that similarity piece is that we're wanting to create an environment that allows the student to thrive in the school setting really
0: had, had not thought about that component, but the way we, as we collaborate with each other, kind of uplift and grow all of our skills. Um, when I have mm-hmm. a fifth grade student I'm working with, boy, I learned a lot about that fifth grade <laughs> curriculum that year. And, you know, understand we're doing decimals to fractions. Okay, let's do this. Um, and, and kind of having to bridge that gap between what they know, what we need them to know, and the content we're using to get uh-huh. Mm, I like that uplifting each other. So while we're co- talking about collaboration, there are lots of other special education professionals that we work with to support students. So can you all share with me a little bit um, who who all who all do you work with to support mm-hmm. our students, and then how do you do that? Both uh, you know, logistically, but also what are some of those interpersonal skills and, and collaboration techniques that you use to make all of those different connections uh, successful
3: it, it's quite a list i mean you know i mean for i mean for people who are listening and te- you know a lot of sped teachers will know but occupational therapists physical therapists assistive technology autism consultants sometimes behavior consultants um, let's see. Who else am I missing? Speech
1: language pathologist.
3: Oh, that's a huge one. Our speech language pathologists—they work really tight with this. Um, I'm sure there's more.
1: <laughs> Feels like there's
3: always a it, lot at the you table. Work with nurses. nurses,
1: nurses, the family coordinators, um, McKinney-Vento uh, liaisons, and then you add all the outside agencies, and those kids have wraparound services or therapists or those things we're actively collaborating with those professionals as well to embed things in the learning environment. It's a lot.
2: It is. <laughs> that adds to one of the big challenges with the field in that how do we find time to have, um, you know, collaboration that is meaningful, but still be present for our students who we, all three of us have students with us at all parts of our day. So we really have to carve out that time and be creative with our own time management to make it happen.
3: And a lot of it is over email, as much as we'd love it to be, but a lot of that staff is itinerant. They have to cover many, many schools, and we need to be flexible. I think another big part of ours is transitionary, is our early childhood team, bringing in our new babes, our our new kinders, and then our outgoings. (laughs) Our, our middle schoolers, our exiters. i mean, it's—it really is a big list, and I—I I think that email—and it feels a little shallow when we're, we, you know, we're having to talk about things over just email. But sometimes it's just the only way we can catch each other, because—and I'm sure that others have felt this too. But when specialists come in, we we adore them. We we need them. We would love to see them more, but we might also be in the middle of academics. But that's the only time. The occupational therapist can stop by, talk to us about a need. So there are many, many things that stop instruction. Um, And it's nobody's fault. It's just a system. It it reminds me, too, that, you know, you've
0: listed probably a dozen people. And I know um, I've gotten to work with OGCOM consultants this year and Adaptive Mm -hmm. PE consultants. And so we're up to like 14 How do you schedule meetings with that many people? They're they're just in the day. Oh, my goodness. So are there techniques or tricks or tips? I know you shared email is a really productive tool, even though it may not give us the depth of collaboration that we'd really like to do for each child. What are some other ways that you guys make this work?
3: I think that's that's actually one of the huge deficits in the system right now that I've watched as especially as our our other support staff. You know, everyone has to be a lot of people have to be at a lot of different locations. It would be great to have like a collaboration day where you know where we'd say like this Friday instead of the school wide PD, which we also need to be a part of. Professional development, but this is the day that the autism consultants and OTs are going to come in and talk to our team. Or do you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's a lot
1: of things are driven by schedule. schedule. That, Tim, that we recently just had like our OT come in and do consultation with our whole team and how to implement things like creating a menu, say for all of like specific students that we know need maybe some certain sensory type things. And that type of collaboration is the most helpful to get the most people to the table at the same time, because like you said, the scheduling piece, super difficult because we also then have staff that we oversee that we're trying to get all the same information that we're given. And so to me, I've really tried to learn to lean on our specialists as more of, they. I view them very much as like active team members. And I know that when I'm struggling, those are the people that I'm leaning in on for ideas. So I have definitely shifted how I even look at IEP writing and how we look at consultation versus direct like support from those people. And I don't think it's always needed for them to be directly in the classroom, but definitely to be there for us um, as other resources, because sometimes we get stumped on how to move forward with a student. And those are the people that I call first to help out.
0: Yes. So it's kind of leading me to, I know this is a question we have a little further down, but I'm feeling it. When I grew up, we had a nurse for our elementary school, one nurse, the elementary school. Now we were K-7, so we were a big school, but we were the only school in the county because it was a tiny place. But we had a full-time nurse in our school, and I was mind-boggled when I got to Oregon and that was not the case full-time nurse at two schools with two schools that's that's not happening our nurses have a gazillion schools and I was wondering you know as we're looking at all these different specialties and paraeducators who I know we're going to talk about here in just a moment these shortages in staffing both in the caseload management of you know some of our nurses have what five six seven eight school thousands of students to take care of um is this something that you guys see impacts you directly? Um, wondering where else you see staffing shortages, both in their assignments and actually having people to fill those assignments. Um, I know for a while in our district, we were missing some pretty key players that that help us do our scheduling. And that shift where I suddenly needed to do all the scheduling for all of my meetings became a whole nother lift in my day of Oh my gosh! How am I
3: going to get everything done? This has to happen. I mean, in a in a nutshell, shortages are shortchanging our students and our children. I mean, that's what I mean. It burdens us because we double team and we, you know, we have to. You know, we really can't. We really can't specifically meet their needs with the shortages. And it's the kids that are getting shortchanged. I mean. It just is, and you know.
1: Say, Kim, every morning we're having to decide who gets what, support today, what we're going to let go, and what we need to prioritize. And safety and health things, like we're saying, like nurses, we have to administer meds for a lot of our students due to behavioral needs. And I can I can't tell you enough how difficult that is in our day and how often things don't happen at the right times because if an escalation is occurring, you know, there, there's some major things that are going on because of the shortages. Um, and it is sad that every morning we're having to think, where can we pull people to support, <laughs> to support?
3: Well, and I think there's been very few days where we have been fully staffed in. I don't know that we've ever been in this building had a day, and I'm at a big school. I was at a much smaller school for 15 years. But for my last three years, this is a big school, almost 525 students. We've got four full-time SPED teachers. It's a big school. But I don't think we have ever been fully SPED staffed, not just what we're asking for or perhaps believe truly we need, but just have on paper. I don't think we've had one day. And, and, And part of it, of course, was impacted by the pandemic you know, because all of a sudden someone was out five days and, but that has eased a bit, but it's just, I mean, it's an ongoing, it's a huge event. It's a huge impact, I would say.
2: And just adding to that, I think like within our building, you know, we have, um, when we have so much shortages, we have some programs that All of their support staff are out on the same day, and it can be for multiple days. And then we're having to pull support staff uh, from a whole completely different, um, you know, job title in the building to go into a program that they have no idea how to help these students, but we're leaning on them to be supportive for these students because of safety concerns and then it pulls, like how Kim said earlier, it just pulls from then academic groups happening in different areas of the building. So it really just all falls back to they directly affect the students that we're supposed to serve.
3: Because so so I mean we'll be we'll call it too the names that it is. I mean we are we have a big Title One, which is in this building is reading assistance. Some buildings it's I think is reading and math, but it's reading. And the whole title team has had to not be able to do their academic groups, and we do share back and forth some with title teams. If you're at a tier three, you know level of support for a student, they have to shut down their whole program and get an all call to go down and help. Perhaps like with life skills, our highest need population, and even our principal, and I'm I'm, I'm going to say it out loud works yeah. in the life skills program some days because they're it's really? safe.
2: It's safety. Yep. And that's a program where you should be the most highly qualified and trained for. But we're putting people in just to fill that safety void that have no idea.
3: And I will add to the the substitutes, the uh, the guest teachers and guest paraeducators that come in too, you know, they don't have specific training. I mean, even our own staff will get on that later. But but um but the, the substitute ones, you know, they maybe just be somebody with a good heart who said, I'll help out the district. And they might have a background that they worked in a, a real estate office, which could or could could be great or not. And then we're in, well, you're with a student with very intense either behaviors or physical needs. And I only have two minutes to tell you something that would take about five years of training and a relationship to build. I mean, it, it, it's, it's it's a sad state of affairs. It reminds me, as you guys are kind of back to where we
0: started, which was this list of all of the different things that you need to know, all of the different disabilities, all of the different impacts, because a disability impacts a student one way and this student the other way. It's very individualized. Mm -hmm. And so and collaborating with all of those specialists who have yet another layer of experience and knowledge to support a student. And now here is someone who knows none of that, who has None of that. And if that were me and I were invited to go into that situation, I would feel very uncertain, very scared, and very um concerned about whether or not I would be back. You know, if I don't know what I need to know to support this child, am I am I helping? Am I and it sounds like we've gotten to a place where it doesn't matter if you if you know how to teach, we just need you to keep them safe. We are at triage levels here. We are just getting kids safely through the day on a good day. I feel like this
1: whole year has been triage level. Yeah. Where I feel everyone, especially because we all know how much relationship in our worlds matters too. And so to bring in kind of some random people at times or people that are not comfortable, kids can read that so easily when staff are afraid and I, we see this daily and it, It really makes our job, especially as the lead teachers overseeing, it puts a lot of pressure on us. I know that we all feel like even taking a day off or if we need a day is like we don't get to do that. There are days that we've taken a day off and we had to go back into work because we're getting alerts that like stuff's happening. And, you know, we feel guilty about that. And although we could try to set our own boundaries, that's really hard when we know how it's affecting our staff and our students and then the families because their kids are being impacted. And then it's just a whole trickle effect.
3: Well, and you you three know me, I'm going to flip this because I always have to have a happy ending at the end of my rainbow. The only good thing about this, that is a lot of people have come in to guest teach as teachers and as paraprofessionals, you know, educational, instructional assistants, you know, what, whatever your label is. And have come from the outside public and they're seeing what it looks like and they're going back out and commenting or writing letters or saying, oh my, there's a lot going on in the school. I think they might need a little more help or a little more, <laughs> more trained help. And I think that that can be, I mean, it's terrible because I, I am so opposed to using children as guinea pigs. Um, but, but, but I think that they're, they've seen some realities of what a day looks like. And right. and like you're saying, Venus, all the different supports and things, and they're like, whoa, this one, you know, we have, uh, it's just, you know, the myriad. I mean, I don't know if people understand that we have children who are in and out of different levels of SPED who may have feeding protocols, like like feeding tubes. I mean, there's really, you can't just say to a sub, you know, a guest person, here, go feed this kid. Oh, but not through their mouth, you yeah. know? I <laughs> mean, <laughs> like, that's, it's specialized. Or I need you to do this this OT
0: protocol that you've never done. You have no idea. Or here, use a Hoyer lift, the specialized piece of equipment. So don't pull your back out. But, yeah, you can see the depth to which. You know, it's not just we don't have someone for that space. We don't have someone who has the training and the knowledge they need and the relationships. Okay, as we're talking, I was thinking, gosh, how long does it take to recover from the days that you're gone? Mm-hmm. Take a day off. How many yeah. days does it take to re- to get everybody back to where they were before you left? Um, it sounds like that is also part of, it's not just writing a lesson plan that's three you know, chapters long because of the depth of the detail that you have to leave for people and you don't know who's going to come in and what knowledge they already have and what knowledge and skills you need them to get in that two minutes that they have to read the lesson plan if they get to read the lesson
3: plan. I think it's very complicated, too, because, like, for me, um, for my... I think I have 13 different alarms on my phone. Some are for when, you know, half-hour academic groups or social skills groups start and stop. Some are very specific check-ins on, you know, educational assistants that are working with kids. Some are check-ins... And that's not that's not planning time isn't in there or or other things. It's just kind of it's doing the rounds, and I think about that too. So scheduling that I, we have to be so thoughtful because that's one of the differences with Gen Ed. I know they have a very tight schedule too, um, working through things. But they could say this afternoon you could read this story aloud and have students answer questions. Well, we, I might have a kindergarten group, you know, reading group, then a fifth grade math group, then a fourth grade. We, it, it's, it's very complicated. So we get it, um, how hard it is when the guests, and even, cause we have a, our educational assistants also do teach the groups. So when they don't, you know, when they don't show up or we have an opening and, and we're teaching our group, and we have to say oh i'm sorry there doesn't seem to be adult over there with your group come join ours so all of a sudden the kindergartners working on letter sounds have joined our fifth graders who are working on deeper level questioning you know in a, a you know in a paragraph that we're working intensely so we do it and and i think we're pretty darn flexible we're we're what are we we're acrobats i
1: don't know acrobats in this way we stretch so in so many directions, which there's a part of me that loves that about our job, but it also going back to, you know, we worry about safety of our students and those things, but also like when we look at the mental health and those things of our special educators. And I think the job that is being asked of us is very extreme and we will do it because I think that's just kind of in our nature, but there are days that I'm like, wow, like it just feels that it's not being considered how many directions we're being stretched in to cover everyone's needs. And then the next day, a new student will enroll and we have to adjust like pivot is really the word for SPAD. I think (laughs) pivot this way, you know, and then where are we going to pull from supports? Because we're being told to that there really is no more support or help coming. It's more of, we got to make it happen. And so I think we really have to be innovative (laughs) to make it happen.
2: Constantly, we're innovating and pivoting.
1: We write schedules over and over and over again. I don't think we'll ever have just a nice, pretty schedule. (laughs) I I think the changes
3: are so quick.
1: And this is a very transitionary
3: school, too, that we had to buy our own little personal mini laminators. We don't have the time to set up the big one and go down to the (laughs) copyright. This kid needs a schedule and a card now. Oh, they're coming tomorrow. And what's their name? You know. <laughs> yeah, yeah I
0: am, I'm nodding my... Yes, we have one of those in my classroom. One of the aides purchased it, in fact, because we couldn't wait for that laminator to... And wait, we don't have the film. And the secretary is also being the nurse and the security guard and the registrar. So she doesn't have time to order the film because she's actually making sure that the people who walk in our building are safe. And they've done the COVID things and they've done... Wow. <laughs> Silence must just feel so amazing at the end of your day. <laughs> yeah. <This is> <laughs> Constantly trying to figure out all of these pieces. Um, you mentioned paraeducators and I and our educational assistants, aides, they go by a lot of names. Um, but the the basic fact is that they are supporters of our students and we get to use them in ways that support our students. So they may be asked to do a lot of things like, gee tube feeding, or teaching phonics, or uh, building a relationship with a student who really doesn't want to have anything to do with you, or, you know, just helping students deal with trauma, or, so I'm wondering if you'll share a little bit about the paraeducators you either currently work with or have worked with in the past, some of the things that really work, and some of the places where maybe they aren't getting the support, training, etc., That they need to be the effective supporters that you need to really serve our students in the way that they need?
3: Well, we're going to be, we'll be bluntly honest. The paraeducators are coming in not trained. Years ago, they would go through different trainings, and now, once in a while, they'll be offered like a, a professional development day, like if we have a different day, like if we're doing, you know, progress reports and. But they might go to a training on, you know, how to do this one reading curriculum, but they haven't been trained in trauma-informed care or all kinds of specific teaching academics. And I would say that um, more than ever, um, our paraeducators are coming in really lacking the training they need to feel good about the job they're doing. And I mean, we see it in them and we see it in the turnover. I mean, I always say in the old days, but, you know, we would build these programs and have the same, you know, we would have the same, we call them EAs, you know, that's our little term, educational assistance, for sometimes five, six, seven, eight years, and you would build such a tight team, and everyone was so happy working together, and you could raise an eyebrow, and they knew what the child needed, or you needed, or you could take a day off because it worked. Now people are coming in and they're leaving. And I, I get it why they leave. <laughs> but, yeah, you know, people, really but it's so hard when they're not trained or they're, they, they might get moved by the district from one program where they were trained in two hours. And, you know, now we're asking someone who has never, ever taught an academic group to teach reading, writing, math and very specifically. So we spend so much training, you know, it's like training the trainers kind of thing. And we don't have time built in for that. So, again, I'm just going to be honest. Sometimes we just say, you know what, that just isn't, you know, there's such skill deficits. And it's, it's nothing against some EAs. It's just they don't, they've never been trained in it. But it's so much work on the teachers. And I know Katie and Kenny will agree. We just say, you know what, um, maybe we'll assign this person to recess and lunch and we'll just overtake the, those groups too. And that's not what it's supposed to be like. But it just, you have to kind of choose your battles and choose how much, I don't know, maybe Katie can.
2: Well, I would say, oh, sorry, go ahead, Katie. No, go ahead, go ahead. Um, We just, like, going back to the AIDS, this job is impossible to do without their support, but we need qualified support. Otherwise, then it, like you're saying, Kim, it is easier for us to just absorb and absorb and absorb. And there have been so many times I come before I am at my current school, I had come from a behavioral program, um, you know, where we have kids with high social emotional needs, and we need trained EAs. Well, every year that I was out there, we had a whole new round of um, EAs. So that's not good for the program. But then where I'm at now, we're having, you know, we are so short on staff that when a new hire does come on for their first day, we're like just throwing them in and we're hoping that they have some type of intuition to themselves where they can just figure it out and they can grow, you know, within because we have no time in our day to sit with them and show them how it should really be done. So it's just, it's crazy.
1: Well, and we don't really have built in collaboration time with our team. So yeah, it is like here, read this document really quick, sending people in that didn't necessarily go to, the extensive amount of schooling that we've all had to go to to be special educators. And we're asking them to do essentially our job, except for the paperwork meeting side of things like we do a lot of behind the scene work. But I think we are requiring quite a bit from people that maybe they didn't even know. I also think through the hiring process, being transparent about what our programs look like you know, I think when I even first started special education, I think people have this idea of a room where everyone's doing quiet little groups and it's a sweet experience. Mm-hmm. That is not a reality. If anything, it is beautiful chaos. It is You have to go with the punches. And a lot of our students now more and more we're seeing exhibiting some pretty significant behaviors and people have to be willing to love and accept students where they're at and where they're coming and i we're seeing some adults that struggle with that maybe they've never had experience with students that are going to push back pretty hard i also think quite a few parents that are coming into the profession because they you know they want to help out and i think they are getting a reality dose of what public education looks like right now and the wide variety of students that we have to service and it's been interesting
3: and it's hard because um i always say as special educators i always use this term that we're like loving armadillos we have to have (laughs) thick skins and not take it personally but we we need to remain loving and i do find i mean just their basic human reactions you know a child may call them an unsavory, let's see, name, uh, and their feelings get hurt, and they come and tell us, and we're like, that's it, you know, yes. but, but you don't have a pencil stuck in your eye, right, or no, 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 that's an extreme, but I'm just saying they don't, you know, just understanding, and we, you know, and we forget to say, oh, by the way, this student, you know, may curse a lot, this is our a call for that, but they might, you know, they've been with the student two minutes and they run in and we, we tattletale, but, you know, but they're reporting to us, whoa, that kid just said perhaps the F word. And we're like, and, um, you know, cause so we, but, but every child is so every child is unique. These guys are extra unique. You know, <laughs> they're, they're specifically unique and working with them is, and you can't, you can't write all that down in a document it, it. You have to have conversations. It's almost like they need to come in and have a pilot trial time with a student or two. It's like a test drive. Oh, yeah. you fit this one because they're on the spectrum and they need someone quiet but firm. Um, you would be great with this one. You know how
1: to dodge and dart. And they may spit. I mean, we have to kind that's, of... Fit. That's another part of our job is I think us navigating our different staff and who we know will be successful with certain students. Um, same with gen ed teachers. I know that we spend quite a bit of time looking at what's you know what classrooms we're going to place students in because we get to know them very well and we know what types of personalities are going to work well with them and what may set them up for complete disaster. I, I would I- say
2: like that goes back to how as a special educator, we wear so many different hats because I know all three of us or four of us, excuse me, um, we do such a great job of making sure we get to know every single one of our kids and how to work best with them. And not many adults have that capability. Some will say like, I cannot work with this kid. They, you know, we don't mesh. That's not an option for the four of us. And so that's a big, you know, that's, that's a lot to have to consider in the day.
0: For more OEA professional learning opportunities, visit grow.oregoned.org.